Hey guys, welcome back to the show where we discuss the truth, what's going on in your psychology, figure out what exactly is going on, bring clarity to it so we can figure out exactly what we need to do to make the decisions we want to make so we can live the life that we want to live. If you feel stuck, like you can't make a decision that you want to make, I mean, typically we would call that feeling stuck. What a lot of us try to do is we just try to force that situation. We just try to force our way through that situation. I'm going to have a good attitude, keep my nose to the grindstone, and that can work. And if that works, great, then you don't need therapy. But if that doesn't work or if it only works for for a few days or a week or maybe two weeks and you feel like you're white-knuckling it, barely holding on, and then you relapse into a Netflix binge or whatever your addiction is, scrolling through Twitter, a lot of... uh, interesting internet use a lot of crying then there's an issue there right there's an unconscious block there that keeps you from doing what you want to do and you try to force it and we think we're doing the right thing when we force it and in a way we're not doing the wrong thing but we're really not doing something that's helpful for us you know one of my favorite moments in any movie probably because i grew up in the 80s but there's just something satisfying about this is in karate kid when of course uh, Mr. Miyagi's ha- having Daniel, you know, uh, wax the car, paint the fence. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending so much time on cleaning your car, painting your fence, right? This has nothing to do with karate. What are you talking about? And then in a, in a bout of frustration, Mr. Miyagi shows him. Like, these are actually essential movements for karate. I don't know if they are essential movements for karate. I know nothing about karate. But in a movie context, that seems cool. And it's psychologically true and guys who I know who know a lot about jujitsu they say pretty much the same thing about that like yeah there's like a bunch of cool moves and techniques but ultimately it's about balance and body position I I don't you know I don't know enough about jujitsu to say anything about that but it really comes down to a few basic principles just work on those principles and everything else just kind of uh, takes care of itself and you know there's really been nothing like that for willpower for willpower, we just look at the decision we want to make and we go, okay, I want to make this decision. And if I don't make this decision, then I'm going to beat myself up, uh, drink 13 beers, wake up hungover the next day, feel a lot of self-pity, low self-worth, a lot of shame. And then I'm going to just make myself make that decision again and then I'll do it for a few days and it's this vicious cycle. And what you're not looking at is, yeah, what are the steps? Like, what is the wax on, wax off? What is the paint, the fence that leads to you making that decision in a healthier way? If somebody joined a, said they really like karate and they joined a karate tournament and they just went in there without any proper instruction, without learning the fundamentals, and then they got beat up and lost, which of course they would, without you know, building the foundation, uh, practicing, practicing, you know, basic balance. I'm sure balance is a big deal of karate. And then that person said, hey, I really want to do well at karate. Would you believe them? No, I don't think you would. I would, you would say, I don't think you want to do well at karate, dude. I think you just want to get beat up because that's what you're signing up for when you join this tournament without work, working on, you know, lower order principles of this thing that you supposedly want to get good at, right? You got to go train with Mr. Miyagi, wax the car, paint the fence. And when I want to apply that, I want to be the, uh, the Mr. Miyagi of therapy ultimately. So we want to work on our, on our willpower. And that's what our question is today about. It's about, uh, it's from a listener who is going through, sounds like a period of intense anger. 
of intense grief. He recently experienced a loss. It doesn't matter what it is. He just experienced a loss. And what he's noticing, what he's noticing is that this loss, experiencing this grief, it has helped him to manage his anxiety. It has, in a sense, helped him push through his anxiety and, and confront areas in, in his life or not confront so much. Yeah, that's been happening too. But the main thing is he's been realizing. He's been realizing things that that he has been avoiding that he wasn't realizing before this event that precipitated the grief happened. So he feels the grief. Of course, it doesn't feel good. Makes us feel like a raw nerve, like we're totally exposed, totally vulnerable. And in the, with this new perception, um, that this new mental space, you can go, oh, wow, this was an area of my life that I was avoiding. I didn't even know I was avoiding it until I had this experience of grief. So he's asking, is this the same for others? Is this kind of what I mean by it's difficult to feel anger and anxiety at the same time, even though I think what he is feeling is grief. And yeah, this is something that I've talked about before. I, I know I did a video on this about, uh, you know, the benefits of competition a long time ago. I wrote an article called The Wrath of Winter and the purpose of winter, and it was, I think I was in a miserable New York winter, which is not nearly as miserable as my Midwestern, you know, Central Ohio winter that I grew up in. You're like, what's the purpose of this? Why, why don't I just live in Southern California? Well, I think the purpose of winter, the way that I used it at the time, is to get in touch with what's important. When everything dies, it's like that's that's the ultimate grief, like everything die, dies, snow white comes and kills everything. and it gets you in touch it's you're more likely in those scenarios of intense or more intense asceticism than you would put yourself through in summer you're more likely to get in touch with what you need and when you're in touch with what you need that's anger and that helps you push through your anxiety and and i think grief is very similar and also i, I discussed this and um in my article on the sacred value how I analyzed uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame or Notre Dame of Paris. Oh, yeah, there we have Notre Dame of Paris. And now that book is about, about ultimately having a sacred value. And when you, you have a sacred value, when you have something that's represented by the Cathedral Notre Dame that you can attach your life to and just, t and just let it take you for a ride, you know, anxiety doesn't matter as much. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's how anger can be useful to push through our anxiety. I mean, you know, the, the neuroscience of it, it's very similar to the neuroscience of, uh, of anger. You know, we have this frontal cortex, and there's different parts of the frontal cortex. You know, there's different regions in the frontal cortex. Where we have this frontal cortex, uh, HPA complex, amygdala, hippocampus, and this is where we process, this is where we feel emotions. And how we process and regulate emotions is actually not quelling so much the amygdala HPA complex, but the, you know the emotion center of our brain. But how we can process and become more aware, and ultimately, what emotional regulation is, is creating connections between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala hippocampus, also making the hippocampus long, larger by by talking through emotions in a certain way. And this has, of course, been demonstrated very well. So the idea is when we experience, this is where we experience fears on this complex and how it relates with our prefrontal cortex. Well, that's also where we experience anger. That's also where we experience grief. And there's just, you know, can you go read a bunch of books? You'll probably find a book at, the, at, the, uh, at, at an airport about this, about 
how grief affects the brain. And the re regions that keep coming up are the, uh, I have them written here, in interior cingulate cortex, which is prefrontal cortex, yeah, prefrontal cortex, and then the amygdala, at least that's a, a, an area associated with the prefrontal cortex. So what happens is on a, on a, neuro, uh, on a neuroscientific level, is when you experience a lot of grief, you can't really experience fear. The fear doesn't bother you as much. The, the fear that was limiting your awareness has dropped because now you just experienced the grief. And what this feels like, of course, is, wow, I just went through this intense loss. I guess now confronting this fear that seemed like a big deal before. It doesn't seem like such a big deal. It seems like small potatoes compared to this grief that I just went through, this intense loss I just went through. So because it doesn't seem like a big deal, unconsciously I am not going to distract myself from it anymore. And I'm gonna be in a much better headspace to confront what this anxiety is. And this is what anger does. You know, anger, very similar how it affects our brain uh, what it does is very similar to a stimulant, to an amphetamine. This is why I do think ADHD is real, but it is overprescribed. And often, it's 90, probably 95% of the time, it's given to kids who don't have ADHD. It's given to kids who have anxiety that presents as ADHD. But the Adderall definitely helps because Adderall is a I mean, it's not even a stimulant, it's an amphetamine. And the amphetamine is dopamine in your brain. It is, in a sense, an anger pill. It is giving your brain the feeling of being in touch with your anger without you having to get in touch with your anger. So while it can be helpful to take Adderall and you see the benefit, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm working better, my anxiety has decreased, of course. Now you can do all that, or you can get in touch with, with your anger. And typically what I see in guys who have a difficult time with their anger expressing it, there's some kind of... I better not say coffee addiction because I drink a lot of coffee, but like energy drinks. Energy drinks, energy drinks seem to be the, uh, what, what guys who have a difficult time with anger drink a lot of is, um, and so yeah, that's what's going on there. And that's why when you feel this grief, and this is why, you know, what, what, why grief helps us to grow and why experiencing a profound sense of grief is helpful for our initiation into whatever the next stage of adult development is for us. Because in a sense, we don't care anymore. We don't care about managing people's emotions maybe the way that we used to. We don't care about looking stupid anymore. How could you possibly care about looking stupid? I just went through this huge loss. You know, my dad just died, whatever it is. I am naked and afraid and vulnerable in a world I never made. So let's start to make it. Let's start to manage that anxiety and get really clear about what that is. And, and you know, in a sense, you know, you're, you're just acclimating your brain acclimating this part of your brain that helps you regulate emotion you're acclimating it to more and more stress that's why it's so so important when you are going through grief if nothing else is to have a place that you can go to and just talk about it not even about the grief so much just what happened today what are you going through what are you experiencing what's your perspective because that HPA complex, it's firing, and we got to make sure that the prefrontal cortex, the executive function, is working it well to help not quell that, but help integrate that, help integrate that pain, help regulate it, help to manage it. Um, you know, typically guys think that 
yeah, and it's too bad. I mean, this initiation, this this grief, whenever we do feel it, it it's it's initiation. Like it's a call to go on. Yeah, the next stage of our adult development. I mean, t- typically when guys feel grief, they think. Well, because this terrible thing happened, because so so a common example of grief, the grief that a lot of guys feel, and by a lot of guys I mean everybody, every guy ever is, I can't believe I wasted so much time in my life. How could I possibly go on and live the life that I want because I wasted the past seven years? I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just uh, working to make my mom happy, and it was just psychologically a total waste. Or yeah, maybe I was too nut on Adderall. I was too nut on Adderall. For the past seven years, I mean, that's pretty much what happened to me, not seven years, but, you know, regretting that time, I was given Adderall, and it worked, but it's not what I needed, right? I needed to manage my emotions better. Um, I could look back and go, oh, what a waste, because, you know, you're, you're just tuned out emotionally when you're on that stuff. You become a robot. Oh, what a waste of time. And, and now I can't go on to live the life that I want, but that's thinking about it backwards when we understand grief and initiation and what the purpose of these things are we think it's only because I have wasted time and I feel this deep sense of grief and loss because of it it's only because I have that experience now that increased range of emotions that I'm able to experience is only because I have that that I am now able to go on and live the life that I want to live very similar when a girl breaks up with you especially like your first girlfriend she breaks up with you usually oh there's a lot of grief there oh that's painful how can I possibly go on she was the perfect girl for me how can I possibly go on and create a healthy relationship now I understand feels that way and if you're in that headspace I would never try to convince you otherwise the only thing I would say is to keep going and I think what you're going to realize that it's only because you have gone through this grief of a girl breaking up with you and thinking, oh, she was the best girl ever. Oh, I'll never be able to find somebody else. It's only because you're able to feel those kinds of feelings are you now able to go on and really create a relationship that you want because now you know what it means. You didn't really know what it meant before, right? You really had to experience it. You know, that's that, that kind of, uh, you know, that neurological load that we talk about. It's, it's, it's crucial for what we need to to make the decisions that we want to make and oh yeah so the takeaway here is I actually have a quotation I'm, I'm quoting myself here I have a quotation from my article the sacred value and I and I read this and I thought you know I'm not going to say this any better than I and I wrote this so I'm just going to repeat it here the blind man versus the man with one eye the man with one eye knows what he lacks Notre Dame the church Notre Dame reminds us that the blind that the blind man is more comfortable than the one-eyed man. To only have one eye is to know what you lack. To be blind is to be content. In the same way, we're all content to be unaware of x-ray light or, or ultraviolet light. Yet, the blind man lacks the knowledge of what he lacks. He lacks the sense of urgency that comes from lack. And he doesn't know, and he doesn't know that he doesn't know. The blind man thinks everything is fine, and when everything's fine, there's never a need for bravery. It's desperation that makes the man. And this is what grief, this is what anger, this is what a, a deep sense of loss gives to us. This is the gift, right? Is it, go, as we go from the blind man to the one-eyed man, and we go, whoa, I was blind, I couldn't see, now I'm seeing with one eye, and it's painful. It was way more painful than when I was blind. At least when I was blind, 
I wasn't aware of what I wasn't aware of. Now I am aware of what I wasn't aware of. And it's painful. And then it becomes a question of what you do to manage that pain and incorporate it into your life. And of course, that's what we can help you with here. We do free consultations, animusempire.com slash schedule. We have a way of, you know, we can go deeper. I can go deeper than any other therapist out there into your emotional issues. And at the same time, we can get really specific about what's going on. So specific to the point where, where we can say, here's how exactly to talk through the grief to manage it. Here's what you need to do to manage the grief. And we, we can lay it out in a you know relatively uh, strict structure, at least a, a, a structure for therapy. So we can simplify, right? Just simplify these issues. They're gonna feel complex. They're gonna feel overwhelming no matter what. So the first step Right, to go back to what I was talking about at the beginning, it isn't just to throw yourself into a karate tournament. The first step is just to break down karate, break down your psychology to, to, uh, to its fundamental principles. And then, yeah, you work on those. And then the emotions, the regulation, then from the regulation, the actions you need to take will tend to take care of themselves. And yeah, we do free consultations if you want more info on that. Thank you guys for watching. And remember that grief, anger, these are all great affects, great emotions that we need to wake ourselves up.